For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. It's our tell show for Wednesday, uh, December the 15th. We hope you all are well as we careen towards the end of the year of our Lord 2021. Hope all is well. Hope you're enjoying your holiday season wherever you and yours are across the street around the world. Uh, got a lot of things we want to talk about today to turn down the noise of the news cycle. We're going to talk a little overseas politics. Our friend Ben Harris from over in the UK and the halls of parliament. And if you think President Biden's approval rating is hurting, He's absolutely romping in the fields compared to his counterpart, Boris Johnson, over there. We'll talk about him. Uh, from that wide perspective, we'll bring it back down. We're going to talk a little education here in America. But first, I want to open the show uh, with some good news for a change. We often have to start out with something negative or something bad or something tragic that is happening in the world. But we want to start on a news. Uh, back on Monday, we talked about the tornadoes that hit. Uh, a wide swath of the country across six states back last Friday and early Saturday morning. Uh, On Monday, we talked about giving to those people and how to donate to locally and things like that. So we wanted to start today's program on Hertel Radio with something positive. Uh, Victor Ordonez, who's the uh, one of the roving reporters for ABC News, he covers special events mostly. Uh, He was in downtown Mayfield, Kentucky. Now, Mayfield, Kentucky uh, was one of the hardest hit areas. Their historic downtown area looks like a war zone. Most of the downtown buildings are just rubble. Uh, The drone footage of their historic courthouse with the top ripped up and most of the rest of it scattered uh, has just been an indelible image of this tragedy, even as we still try to figure out what the death count and casualty count will be and what will undoubtedly be an astronomical dollar sign and thousands of lives affected permanently. Uh, It's a huge tragedy. And the images put one perspective on it, but uh, Victor Ordonia has put out on his social media something we want to highlight so that we can start on a happy note for a change. Um, In the rubble downtown, close to where that courthouse image was, in a parking lot that has barely been cleared of rubble across from another parking lot full of rubble and facing buildings that are, you know, just the facades with the middles pretty much gone. It's almost like a war zone. Uh, Victor Ordonia has came across a man. Uh, The man's name is uh, Jim Finch. And Mr. Finch uh, took a large cooker, you know, like a barbecue cooker, flip-top cooker, smoker kind of a rig, pretty good, pretty nice little rig for people like us that are food folk. And he came from out of town. He's from Paducah, Kentucky originally, but he said he drove down from Clarksville, Tennessee. And he just, without any fanfare, without any real inroads to the community other than having been from Kentucky and Paducah, he brought his cooker, he brought a pickup truck full of food in the back of it, 
he pulled up in the parking lot right in the middle of this devastation where you can see heavy trucks going by and emergency vehicles and just any angle that uh, Victor Ordonia shot Mr. Finch from, you just see the rubble and debris and busted up buildings all around him. He parked his cooker and he just started cooking food. And when he asked him uh, what he was doing, he said, do you have a restaurant or something? He goes, no. He said, this, this is just what needs to be done. Uh, he's cooking hamburgers and sausages and eggs. And as, as he said, you know, just making grab and go type food for whoever needs it. And it's just because it needs to be done. This is why we talked about on Monday, uh, the local communities um, and trying to donate at the local level as much as possible. We spend a lot of time in the political and cultural discourse talking about our differences. Um, in fact, the, you know, the tagline for this show is turning down the noise because we want to get past the noise to discuss things so we can actually understand those differences and try to get to something workable, if not solutions, at least understandings. And tragedies and crisis reveals. It's a theme we have on our show. Crisis reveals. We've been talking about it with COVID. We've been talking about it with the economy. We talk about it with politics. Uh, an election year is coming. Uh, that's a crisis to elected officials. You're going to see more of their true character come out as the pressure of election builds on them. But this tragedy in Kentucky and the other states affected and what Jim Finch is showing here is true character that reveals itself. He didn't have to do anything. He just said it needed to be done. And he got food and he got a truck and he went down and he didn't have a committee meeting and he didn't try to do anything over his head. He just went and did it. He set up shop and started serving food. That's the spirit of America. That's what makes American greatness. Americans taking care of other Americans. Americans doing not what they want to do, but what they can do. It's a good microcosm for a lot of the things we're debating in culture and politics right now. Role of government, role of individuals, what's your responsibility, what's your not your responsibility. People like Jim Finch showed up. No, he can't redo everything that happened in Mayville, Kentucky, or any of the other you know, areas. He's not a stonemason that I know of. He's not going to start rebuilding buildings. He didn't show up with a, you know, heavy equipment. He's not a search and rescue expert as far as I know. He showed up and just started cooking food because, as he said, these folks don't have electricity. They don't have water. They're not going to have restaurants. They're going to need somewhere to eat. And he's going to feed them food if they want it, especially in those areas where, you know, recovery workers and emergency workers are going to be working. That's something that needs to be celebrated. We understand the role of government. The role of government is going to be massive in this because you need that kind of heft and ability to rebuild an entire town. We also need individuals like Jim Finch, who's just going to show up and start serving food and feed not only the bodies, but the souls of people that are really struggling. More of Victor Ordonez is reporting on the ground. You can follow him on Twitter uh, at the Ordonez Times. That's Ordonez with a Z on the end. Talking to these you know, kind of man on the street sort of things where he's talking to the people and the people over and over again are talking about how they're just overwhelmed with the generosity of others, overwhelmed with the way the nation is putting their arms around their communities. We need to keep giving to them if we're able to, especially next week and the week after and a month from now when the news coverage will go on to other things and those people are still trying to rebuild their lives. But as we talk in culture and politics of all our differences, remember there's people like Jim Finch, who we don't really know anything about, other than what he told us on camera, who just showed up because, and I'm quoting him here, it just had to be done. He's not a restaurant guy. He's not a rescue worker. He's just a guy that showed up with some food. 
and that little act of just showing up some food showed what America can do the best, doing what you can with what you got for as long as you can. It's a very simple thing we need to keep focus on as we try to fight through the outrage and the noise and the machinations of our cultural and political environment. We can do a lot better, and a lot of that better starts with simple things like just doing what we can. Got a full show for you today. Lots of stuff going on. Ben Harris, uh, we're going to talk education. There's an article out that's getting a lot of play about how students' misbehavior is way, way up. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that these things do not happen in a vacuum. They happen in a sequence, and the sequence of shutting down schools, the sequence of online learning, the sequence of home lives being interrupted, the sequence of these children being sometimes as many as two school years behind, not just academically, but socially in their development. There's a lot of moving parts to that story, and people are taking little slices out of it. We're going to try to look at it from a big picture angle. So plenty of Hertel Radio today. I'm Andrew Donson. However you're watching or listening, we sure appreciate it. And we'll be back with more Hertel Radio right after this. back to Hertel Radio. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for staying with us. Um, a very troubling thing you may have heard tell about uh, the school system and what we're talking about and how we talk about education in America uh, is having a bit of a catharsis right at the moment. Let's call it that. We did virtual learning in a lot of places. Schools, for the first time in most people's living memory, had to shut down for extensive period of time. Uh, my own two youngest children. They missed uh, almost the better part of a full calendar year, better part of two full school years sitting out because their district shut down early and stayed shut down. There wasn't a lot of this back and forth. Other school systems did a lot of back and forth. Uh, they shut down, they reopened, they shut down, they reopened, um, which may have been even more chaotic than just shutting down and going full virtual. Uh, they obviously did this with very little preparation. Uh, they did this with very little planning. A lot of this had to be done ad hoc. It had to be done on the fly. People were just administrators and teachers and students and parents were just trying to do it all at the same time because of the COVID-19 pandemic. There's a separate conversation here about should they have shut schools down completely like that or not. Uh, we're going to set that aside for a minute because it happened. Uh, we can deal with that in a hindsight method, but right now it happened. What are we going to do about it? There's a report out. It's dated December 12th. Uh, this is out of the Chalkboard Review. It's written by Gary and Frankel, and the headline goes, Student Misbehavior Escalates Nationwide. And I'm going to read just an ex excerpt from it uh, so we can delve into this a little bit more. Uh, the Quote, the reports are rolling in from around the country. As many schools emerge from virtual learning for the first time in nearly two years, student behavior has dramatically worsened. At Gorham Middle School in Maine, the number of children sent to the front office in 2021 is 30 33% higher than the total at the same point in school year 2019. That would have been the last full school year for most students. Fights in Denver, Colorado's public school district are up 21% compared to pre-pandemic numbers. Millions more American children are reporting mental health troubles than pre-pandemic numbers. But the misbehavior malaise is not limited to statistical charts and the principal's office visits. Students at Bristol Elementary School in Vermont went on a rampage, annihilating the school's piano, destroying school's computer, and damaging numerous cars in the parking lot, resulting in thousands of dollars in total damage. That's an elementary school. 
Beaumont, Texas, is begging parents to take a bigger role in their children's educations, fearing that misbehavior will eventually translate into violence. One American teacher who spoke to talk chalkboard review staff on the condition of anonymity reported being sexually harassed by several students, none of whom had been punished in any meaningful way. Obviously, fights, vandalism, and sexual harassment are no strangers to American schools. But what were once isolated and extreme incidents in many districts have become increasingly commonplace, and teachers are forced to re-socialize a generation of students whose learning environment was completely and utterly shattered. Let's start with that last part because that's the pertinent issue here. Yes, an entire generation of students whose learning environment was completely and utterly shattered. They stopped, my colleague M. Carpenter wrote in Ordinary Dash Times not too long ago, about how most students are actually dealing with their last school year. Most of them are almost two full grade years behind in their education. That means they're also two full years behind in their social adaptation. That also means teachers are almost two full grade years behind out of rhythm with how they would normally teach. Education in America has a real circadian rhythm to it. Summers to prep, falls to integrate, uh, winter breaks to adjust, spring breaks to adjust again, then you finish out the school year in the springs. That's been interrupted for the better part of two years. What is happening here in America is that we are having to have a reckoning with what the education system is. Because it's so automatic, because it is so, especially in public education, you just send your children to school, they send your children back to them, and magically education is supposed to happen is how it's been treated in America for far too long. And it's become divisive. We have an exploding supervisory and administrative level of school, especially in the lower academic realms, where you have much more pay, highly paid people, much more credentialed people are getting much more money while in-classroom teachers are suffering, not getting the funding they need, and often getting placed between that administrative level and the students and the parents. Parents got really left in the lurch during COVID-19. We've talked with economists on this program and elsewhere before that the schools being shut down was probably one of the biggest economic indicators of why COVID-19 was so economically devastated. Because if you can't manage daycare and you can't use the schools and count on them, a lot of people that work, especially people that do shift work or pickup work or part-time work while their kids are at school, can no longer do that. They had to be home with their children. These are all tentacles that have not been fully vested out. Uh, how the schools were shut down. But I'm going to steal from our buddy OG Jaybird at Ordinary-Times.com. He always brings us up of what is our school system? Is it a massive jobs program and daycare or is it about education? Clearly in America, the education system has been the former. It's a massive jobs program for the teachers and administrator and it's a daycare for the parents. And what that did was it broke the partnership between the teachers and the parents and the students. Education has to be a partnership. Schools never have, never can be, and never will be a substitute for parenting. And in a lot of cases, parents can't be the substitute for education. I'm not talking about parents that can homeschool or parents have the ability to do alternate schooling. There's plenty of them, but that's not everybody. Not everybody can do that. They don't have the means to do that. They don't have the ability or the want to to do that. Schools and public education has to have a certain standard being presented, and that got shattered by COVID-19. Now, it also revealed the really good teachers. There are many, many, and the vast majority, I would think, of educators in America, K through 12, are dedicated teachers. They want to do their jobs, 
And those dedicated teachers shone through because they adapted, they overcame, and they found ways to still reach their students. But teachers are not supermen, they're not superheroes, and they're not immune from criticism. And the bad teachers that were in our school system got revealed really, really quickly on online learning because now parents got to look into their classroom. In fact, a lot of school systems started trying to make rules where parents could not deal with their classroom at all. But that goes back to what I was talking about with the partnership. We get into things like we saw in the Virginia election where an offhanded quip about parents can't dictate what their students are taught. That's nonsense. It's a partnership. Taxpayers have a right to know what their tax dollars are going to in the education system. At the same time, it's a partnership that goes the other way, and they need to show respect to the teachers. And over all this, that booming administrative level that is stopping up massive money and funding in the name of teaching our kids, but none of it's actually getting into the classroom, is driving a wedge into all this. You put all this, these factors into uh, the crisis pressure cooker that COVID-19, and then you shut it down, and then you make everybody adjust, then you reopen it, and in some cases, shut it down and reopen it again. Now you're dealing with vaccine mandates, you're dealing with mask mandates, you're dealing with a lot of stuff, plus you're dealing with kids, many of whom for the first time in their lives had to be home to their own devices or around different daycare situations than they are used to. These are massive societal changes that the school system was not equipped to deal with, but we're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. We're going to have to deal with it quickly, and we need to fix that partnership between teachers and parents and students because nothing else is going to work if that partnership isn't there. And, and those three groups fighting amongst themselves and being used as a shield by that administrative level and by politicians and by other untowards actors, some of which are the parents and students that aren't acting in good faith either, those relationships being hindered in that way is going to make this even, even worse. Are we going to have a giant jobs program and daycare system and call it education? Or are we going to have a partnership between the schools, the parents, and the students to educate our children better? We better figure it out quick because we're losing an entire generation that's going to have educational, psychological scarring out of how, what we did to them as a society. Maybe some of it was unavoidable. Maybe some of it was necessary, but it's scarring nonetheless, and it's scars we better deal with quickly or we're going to have a lot of scarred adults leading our country in the not-too-distant future. This is Hertel Show. I'm Andrew Donaldson. We'll be right back after this. Back on Hertel Radio, I'm thrilled to be joined with my buddy Ben Harris through the magic of the internet from jolly old England. How are you today, sir? Well, it's nighttime where you are, but how are you, sir? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's quarter past nine here. Um, got home from work a couple hours ago, but yeah, it's all, it's all good here. Fantastic. Uh, appreciate your time today. Uh, last we spoke, the Labor Party was on the run. They were losing elections in places they had never lost elections before. Boris Johnson was riding high. The conservatives were as good as they'd ever been. My how times change in a big old hurry. He now has an approval rating somewhere around a cholera outbreak. Uh, what happened? And in a short period of time, it can't just be COVID because COVID's two years old now. What, what's going on over there? It's, it's a combination of things. So I'm um, historically compared to U.S. presidents. I was looking at the data earlier and even Tony Blair, who, of course, won three elections, two of them landslides. 
even he was only popular, um, or as in net popular, for a, his first few years. Um, ten, we don't we don't tend to like our prime ministers. So for, for most of you know the last forty years, they've been they've been underwater in terms of net popularity. Not like the US, where you often get presidents who I know Biden isn't at the moment, but you know for a long period, presidents are often at least a few points above. Um, but Boris Johnson is in a really bad state at the moment, and. You're right. It's not just COVID. I think it's it's a combination of things. Uh, firstly, it's the scandals, the personal scandals. Uh, he's he's had this, I don't know, this wallpaper thing where whereby there was I don't know there was there was public money supposedly supposedly used to wallpaper his flat in Downing Street. Uh, there was of course the Christmas party gate, which I think we can call it a gate now, um, where there was allegedly a party that took place in Downing Street last Christmas. Uh, you know, it, you know against the COVID protocols at the time, which which wouldn't allow that. Uh, there's, oh, he's got some woman who he was with and who was you know, a mistress who's been, you know, telling all over the last couple of years and, you know, that doesn't look good for him. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, sort of a, a constant slew of different things. Um, there's all these, there's of course the Owen Patterson scandal, which wasn't directly linked to him, but it was, it didn't look good on him. Um, it's all these different things whereby he's just seemed to be not setting a good example. Um, but I think also possibly the, the, the COVID rollout, the vaccine was very good, but I think perhaps people were lulled into a false sense of security of thinking that COVID as a whole would be over and that would be that. And of course that hasn't happened, unfortunately. Now the, the rap on Boris Johnson when he first got into office, now he was, he's obviously a member of parliament, but he kind of first came to flame as the mayor of London. Uh, mm. His his rep was kind of as a bit of a chaos agent. There's a bit of uh, personality to him. Uh, of course, in America, he got a lot of Trump comparisons, even though I don't think those are completely analogous other than their no. suspect hairstyles. But <laughs> he was he does have that outsized personality. He says things he probably shouldn't say. That was kind of his rep to start with. So when we get into this drip, drip, drip scandal thing, it's kind of just drowning out all of the good stuff that he may be accomplishing because it was kind of the preset condition for a lot of folks in the first place, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think we also have to consider that at the 2019 election, a lot of people voted conservative, not so much because they liked him, but because they really didn't like Jeremy Corbyn. So I guess it's a bit similar to the Joe Biden, Donald Trump thing. In this case, Corbyn was the Trump and uh, Johnson was the Biden. He was seen as the less, simply the lesser evil. Um, and and also I think as well, his in terms of an ideology, he doesn't seem to have much of an ideology. He he often sort of goes with the wind, and he doesn't seem to really have a plan for for sort of how he wants to shape the country. Sometimes, and that can be quite bad. Um, you know, it's it's people sort of don't know where he stands on a lot of issues. And um, but yeah, there are, there are good things. But you're right, they're getting completely drowned out by all these scandals, and that that doesn't reflect well on him at all. We got a lot of mileage on uh, talk radio shows in the States of him trying to explain his plan where he went through a various thing before he finally got around to it being a more feminine plan. And everybody's like, well, what's he talking about? Um, he's very glib. Uh, is there any way for him to dig out of this hole or is he in a spiral now with the way things are kind of moving in uh, the part the politics of the UK right at the moment? I mean, it's hard to say. So the polls have decidedly shifted against him in recent years. I mean, to be fair, there were periods like this in the past under Theresa May where, you know, she was quite far behind the polls, although, you know, did, didn't turn out well for her in the end. But, I mean, Labour have really opened up quite a big lead at the moment. And it's probably a combination of things, you know, the sort of the coronavirus is probably having an impact as well. But it's hard to say because he has come back from things before. But I think the thing, the point I would make is that he's basically um, 
ticking off both sides. So the people who wouldn't be affected or as affected by the scandal, people who just wouldn't care because they just see it as lefty nonsense or whatever, they're not happy with the coronavirus restrictions that are about to be imposed. And they're, they're really not happy about that. And of course, the people sort of on the other side who, who do care about the, who want the restrictions, but you know, also care about the scandals, they're not happy with the scandals. So it's, he's, he's not really, he's losing sort of people on all sides. And that's the problem. And it's, it's hard to see where he really goes from this over the next couple of years. You already touched on it, but the the big uh, part of the equation that is different now, it seems, than before is the absence of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, mm. is, is that just kind of the big thing? Because, you know, the current labor leadership, it's not like they're super charismatic. Is it just Corbyn became so unpalatable for so many people? And in my opinion, anyway, for very good reason for a lot of mm. things. Was he just that bad that he just sucked everything down to that level? And now you're seeing things kind of balance back out. Uh, possibly. I mean, in, in Keir Starmer's first few months, he wasn't that popular. People didn't know much about him. And to be fair to Keir Starmer, I don't really rate him that highly. But at the same time, I don't really disrate him that highly. I mean, if he was prime minister, I wouldn't fear for the future of the country. I mean, I wouldn't agree with him on many things, but he's pretty inoffensive, really. And actually, the Labour, Labour left probably hate him more than the Tories do. Um, he's quite inoffensive. I think people don't see him as a threat, whereas they saw Corbyn as a threat, and rightly so, in my opinion. So I think he's... Starmer is just having the benefit of simply being inoffensive. Again, this is this is very similar to in this case. He, he's he's quite some Biden as well, in, in many ways. He's simply seen as inoffensive. He's he's he's, he's not necessarily clued up in a lot of cultural issues, and you know, of course, he doesn't have the same kind of horrible links that Corbyn had. So he is benefited from that. But having said that, um, you know, if he gets more examination, he may come under pressure. We'll wait and see. Uh, do you see an election coming anytime soon, or do you think it'll be sometime next year before this thing sort of sorts itself out? I think it'll be a while before there's another election. I think we've we're sort of we have election fatigue because we had those sort of two elections. Um, I mean, we're supposed to have an election, we had an election as planned, 2015, and we're supposed to have another one in 2020, and we ended up having two in that period, 2017, 2019. Uh, the next one isn't due now for I think until 2024, probably 2023. I don't think they will run next year. I think it's people are just simply too electioned out. And with COVID, I don't think it's it's just not going to be feasible. So I think it will be probably, it's looking likely um, maybe spring 2023 or spring 2024. Um, no later than that, though. And beyond COVID, uh, the issue before that, that kind of got everybody burned out on elections and parliament in general was, of course, Brexit. Uh, mm. Do you think there's still a after uh, a hangover from Brexit or an after effect of Brexit? Or do you feel like the country's starting to move into the new normal of, OK, this is what it is. The sky didn't completely fall, but we've got policy issues and things to deal with leadership wise. Is that where you're at now? Do you think you kind of got over the hangover of it or is it still a dominant issue? Brexit, I'd say, is mostly a non-issue. I mean, today, actually, um, of course, I, I work for an MP and we obviously get correspondence about lots of different issues. And we, we had a, a Brexit email today. And I was like, oh, that's a, nice, that's a nice change because we haven't had one of those for a while. And I'd say Brexit as an issue is now no longer, it's not really, it, it may come into the fore again because obviously there are issues still to be resolved. But it's Brexit simply, to most people, it's seen as being done, whether they agree with it or not. There's a small and militant sort of group of people who want to rejoin the EU. But overall, uh, I think Brexit is in the rearview mirror and it's not really that much of a big thing these days. It may it may crop up again, who knows, but at the moment it's not. Uh, you teed it up perfectly. So what are the issues that the people, at least the constituency that you're serving and working for, for your MP, what are they talking about? Is it economic? I'm sure COVID's in there a lot, but what's some of the mm. things that they are talking about, just kind of the rank and file folks that are passing their information up, wanting issues dealt with? 
Uh, so COVID, COVID is the main issue. The COVID restrictions uh, are definitely the main issue. We've, we've, we've received quite a lot of emails about that. Uh, the Christmas party, for example, uh, or the non-Christmas party, whatever it was, uh, that's we've been quite a few on that on a branch leadership in general. Um, but then you've also got the generic issues, like we, we, we occasionally get abortion crop up. We'll get you know the big bills that go through Parliament. So, for example, there's been a new borders bill. So, the, the, you know, the, regarding you who know, can come into the country, that's we've seen quite a lot about that. We've had um, there's been a new health healthcare bill. That's for example. So you've got all the generic bills that come through Parliament. We all get stuff like those, and then we've got the you know, of course, COVID, COVID restrictions. And, and all sorts of things like that. But I think at the moment, yeah, it's COVID. It's, that's really dominating everything. We're talking to Ben Harris over in the UK. Uh, more with him right after this when Hartel Radio returns. back with Ben Harris, who's laughing because I was just uh, remarking on his Aston Villain jersey. I keep wanting to say Aston Villain, and I don't really mean it because I don't really have a dog in that fight, so I apologize. But for people watching on the Facebook feed or YouTube, uh, he's got his uh, team collars on there. How are you over in the UK today? Hey, now he's kid. Okay, that's enough. I'm going to have to kiss him. Uh, but your day job when you're not uh, supporting your side, as they say over there, uh, you are working for a member of parliament. One of the dominant issues over there lately has been the migrant crisis. You have people trying Mm -hmm. to cross the channel. Uh, You have, unfortunately, people dying trying to do it. It's really came to the forefront lately. Um, Is there a lot parliament can do about this? Uh, Of course, Boris Johnson's getting tremendous pressure on this because he's the leadership. But practically, is there a whole lot y'all can do with this? And, And tensions with France are not good anyway. But what what can actually be done about this issue? Because it seems like just kind of a mess that's kind of unfixable at the moment it is hard i mean you've got i mean obviously the uk the uk sort of sea border on the south coast is nowhere near as long as say the us mexico border but even then it's hard to have people at every point and uh, there are things that can be done but i think a lot of people overestimate what the government can do and of course uh, when people arrive i mean as, as I, I understand yeah it's just a sort of say oh we'll send them back or don't house them, but they still need to be housed. They still need to be treated humanely. You can't just completely, uh, you know, treat them, you know, like like they were they were you know animals. Or whatever. you have to still treat them with respect, and it's that of course takes up resources. And I, I do understand people's anger there, um, but yeah, it's I think it's a process, I and mean, we can't simply you can't simply deport people straight away. There has to be a process that has to go through, and of course there are lots of people coming in, and that does obviously arouse you know attract attention. And of course, the French are not helping. Uh, the French are, are really not being helpful there at all because obviously people traffickers are ultimately the ones that are, uh, are capitalizing off this. And that's that's what we don't want. Is it nefarious stuff or is it just normal uh, migration patterns? Because we see in Eastern Europe where there's some real nefarious stuff where the states uh, like uh, like Belarus and others where they're mm. kind of pushing this stuff. It's more nefarious. Uh, there are parts of the world, uh, Vladimir Putin's kind of specialized in this, Ergodin and Turkey, where they have weaponized migration. Is that mm. what's happening here, or is it just a, a spike, or what do you think the root cause behind this is all of a sudden? I wouldn't go that far. I think it's simply a case that for France, it's often easier to let them go, because uh, there's obviously a lot of a lot of these migrant camps uh, in sort of the north of France, and I think they probably just don't do, they probably just, uh, it's a case of deliberate um, Know, deliberate ne- neglect um 
I don't, as I said, I don't think they're trying to trying to cause you know mischief. I think it's just it's just easier for them to let them go. Um, but at the end of the day, it's I don't know why there's so many now. I think there's a perception that the UK is this, this sort of benefit haven. It isn't, but there's a perception both inside and outside the UK that this is a place to be if you want benefits, and I think that still endures. Uh, speaking of havens, uh, one strain in US and UK. The special relationship, we call it, um, was after Afghanistan. Uh, has some of that died down or is it still kind of fresh in folks' minds? Uh, because we and and the, the, the complaint in Parliament among most of the MPs was that, you know, they kind of got stuck with it because America's leaving. Now we're stuck with having to leave. And they, they felt a little bit of an independence issue there, even though we're obviously allies. Uh, has that died down or is that still a little bit raw? Um, we don't really hear much about it nowadays. In personally, I think it's sad that Afghanistan is no longer an issue because, of course, uh, what the Taliban are doing there is kind of just being ignored. People cared for a few weeks. Now they just don't really care, even though the Taliban yeah. are doing exactly what we thought they would do. And, you know, millions of women, especially women and girls, are, are being, their, their rights are being completely away. And life is a lot worse for a lot of people there. Um, it's not really an issue anymore. And I think a lot of people, to be fair, probably a lot, a lot of people just in general here, had the view was oh well, we should have got that long ago um I, I don't think it was one of those issues where i don't think the government made the case of why we were there unfortunately right. uh, just the same as your government i don't think your government really made a good case of it even i think it was a it's a failure on all our all our sides and you know we, we've i don't think the blame can be the blame blame can be very much shared out among everyone yeah and aside from the blame though the british troops uh, on the ground and the british diplomatic personality they carried a lot of that load from from talking to mm. folks over there so uh, the the on the ground allyship is strong because the British troops really did some yeoman's work. Uh, they did a lot they of did. the dangerous and and some of the really rough. They did a lot of the diplomatic load. I don't think a lot of people realize of trying to no. process the people they did get out. So uh, we want to make sure we honor the troops and the folks on the ground because it wasn't their fault. They were just trying to clean. Oh, them of course, up. no, no, they they did a brilliant job, all of them. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of those pictures, those were British troops on the walls there, so we want to honor them. All right, the one that we covered on the show a couple days ago and got some response because people thought, what in the world? Uh, There was the reports of there was traces of drug use in the halls of Parliament. Um, You work in Parliament. Uh, I want you to keep plausible deniability. We don't want anybody getting in trouble here. But uh, the reports that there was traces of cocaine in the bathrooms, that there was some pot being smoked. Uh, does Parliament have a drug problem? Because the Speaker of the House of Commons had to address it and say he's going to take it very seriously. So how seriously do we take this? Uh, personally, I've never seen any drug use in Parliament. But then again, I'm, I live quite a sheltered life. I've never touched drugs <laughs> myself. And, and, and if you if you showed me a bag of cocaine, I'd probably think it was flour. So um, I probably wouldn't even know if I was looking for it. Duly noted. Having said that, having said that, where I used to work in Parliament, so we recently moved office because they're renovating the building, but where I used to work, uh, the break room it was right next to the break room of all the armed police officers that used to patrol the estate so I think if you're going to do drugs that would be the absolute worst place in the whole apartment to do it so you probably wouldn't have had that much done there but I, I can definitely believe that there's a lot of drugs being done in parliament um, yeah, as there is in society in general but yeah I, I can believe that is it one of those things where just some of the people are doing stuff they're like man I hope they're on drugs because at least it would explain some of the behavior <laughs> I think sometimes people think about me and I think oh god you know he doesn't drink does he not on drugs what, kind of, what, what does what does explain ben's nuttiness but there you go i can i can assure you i'm not on drugs everyone is listening uh, a british man that doesn't drink this this is interesting how did that happen <laughs> I'm gonna put you oh, i saw a taste I saw, i'm drinking water right now but i just i literally don't have a taste of, of alcohol that's purely it there's no bad experience because i'm not a mormon 
uh, I probably wouldn't make a good Mormon, but I, I, I'm not a Mormon. There's no religious reasons. There's no bad experience. I just don't have the taste. I, I will forgive it because I still know your horrific take on garlic is far, far uh, more of a character flaw. Uh, yeah. I don't know why you don't like garlic. We're going to work on that, though, my friend. Uh, it's the, the taste. Spe- it's not everything. The, the special relationship relies on you holding up the culinary standards of Great Britain, and you've got to start get, liking garlic. We're just going to have to fix that. <laughs> uh ben harris it's always good catching up with you my friend thank you for giving us a little wider viewpoint on what's going on over in the uk uh let folks know where they can find you on twitter and stuff because you are a good follow except for your bad food takes and your questionable football uh fandom so where can folks find you well thank you thank you for having me it was a pleasure all right and he's uh ben harris on twitter look him up uh thank you sir i appreciate your time thank you Welcome back to Hertel Radio. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for staying with us. Um, a very troubling thing you may have heard tell about uh, the school system and what we're talking about and how we talk about education in America uh, is having a bit of a catharsis right at the moment. Let's call it that. We did virtual learning in a lot of places. Schools, for the first time in most people's living memory, had to shut down for an extensive period of time. Uh, my own two youngest children, they missed uh, almost the better part of a full calendar year, better part of two full school years sitting out because their district shut down early and stayed shut down. There wasn't a lot of this back and forth. Other school systems did a lot of back and forth. Uh, They shut down, they reopened, they shut down, they reopened, um, which may have been even more chaotic than just shutting down and going full virtual. Uh, They obviously did this with very little preparation. Uh, They did this with very little planning. A lot of this had to be done ad hoc. It had to be done on the fly. People were just administrators and teachers and students and parents were just trying to do it all at the same time because of the COVID-19 pandemic. There's a separate conversation here about should they have shut schools down completely like that or not. Uh, We're going to set that aside for a minute because it happened. Uh, We can deal with that in a hindsight method, but right now it happened. What are we going to do about it? There's a report out. It's dated December 12th. Uh, This is out of the Chalkboard Review. It's written by Gary and Frankel, and the headline goes, Student Misbehavior Escalates Nationwide. And I'm going to read just an excerpt from it uh, so we can delve into this a little bit more. Uh, Quote, the reports are rolling in from around the country. As many schools emerge from virtual learning for the first time in nearly two years, student behavior has dramatically worsened. At Gorham Middle School in Maine, the number of children sent to the front office in 2021 is 33% higher than the total at the same point in school year 2019. That would have been the last full school year for most students. Fights in Denver, Colorado's public school district are up 21% compared to pre-pandemic numbers. Millions more American children are reporting mental health troubles than pre-pandemic numbers. But the misbehavior malaise is not limited to statistical charts and the principal's office visits. Students at Bristol Elementary School in Vermont went on a rampage, annihilating the school's piano, destroying school's computer, and damaging numerous cars in the parking lot, resulting in thousands of dollars in total damage. That's an elementary school. Beaumont, Texas, is begging parents to take a bigger role in their children's educations, fearing that misbehavior will eventually translate into violence. 
One American teacher who spoke to talk chalkboard review staff on the condition of anonymity reported being sexually harassed by several students, none of whom had been punished in any meaningful way. Obviously, fights, vandalism, and sexual harassment are no strangers to American schools. But what were once isolated and extreme incidents as many districts have become increasingly commonplace, and teachers are forced to re-socialize a generation of students whose learning environment was completely and utterly shattered. Let's stop right there because that last little bit is the pertinent part here. Yes, we have a generation of students learning environments was completely and utterly shallow. Excuse me. Let's start with that last part because that's the pertinent issue here. Yes, an entire generation of students whose learning environment was completely and utterly shattered. They stopped, my colleague M. Carpenter wrote in Ordinary Dash Times not too long ago, about how most students are actually dealing with their last school year. Most of them are almost two full grade years behind in their education. That means they're also two full years behind in their social adaptation. That also means teachers are almost two full grade years behind out of rhythm with how they would normally teach. Education in America has a real circadian rhythm to it. Summers to prep, falls to integrate, uh, winter breaks to adjust, spring breaks to adjust again, then you finish out the school year in the springs. That's been interrupted for the better part of two years. What is happening here in America is that we are having to have a reckoning with what the education system is. Because it's so automatic, because it is so, especially in public education, you just send your school, kids, you just send your children to school, they send your children back to them, and magically education is supposed to happen is how it's been treated in America for far too long. And it's become divisive. We have an exploding supervisory and administrative level of school, especially in the lower academic realms, where you have much more paid, highly paid people, much more credentialed people are getting much more money while in-classroom teachers are suffering, not getting the funding they need, and often getting placed between that administrative level and the students and the parents. Parents got really left in the lurch during COVID-19. We've talked with economists on this program and elsewhere before that the schools being shut down was probably one of the biggest economic indicators of why COVID-19 was so economically devastated. Because if you can't manage daycare and you can't use the schools and count on them, a lot of people that work, especially people that do shift work or pickup work or part-time work while their kids are at school, can no longer do that. They had to be home with their children. These are all tentacles that have not been fully vested out. Uh, how the schools were shut down. But the, I'm going to steal from our buddy O.G. Jaybird. I'm going to steal from our buddy O.G. Jaybird at Ordinary-Times.com. He always brings us up of what is our school system? Is it a massive jobs program and daycare, or is it about education? Clearly, in America, the education system has been the former. It's a massive jobs program for the teachers and administrator, and it's a daycare for the parents. And what that did was it broke the partnership between the teachers and the parents and the students. Education has to be a partnership. Schools never have, never can be, and never will be a substitute for parenting. And in a lot of cases, parents can't be the substitute for education. I'm not talking about parents that can homeschool or parents have the ability to do alternate schooling. There's plenty of them, but that's not everybody. Not everybody can do that. They don't have the means to do that. They don't have the ability or the want to to do that. Schools and public education has to have a certain standard being presented. And that got shattered by COVID-19. Now, it also revealed the really good teachers. 
there are many, many, and the vast majority, I would think, of educators in America, K through 12, are dedicated teachers. They want to do their jobs. And those dedicated teachers shone through because they adapted, they overcame, and they found ways to still reach their students. But teachers are not supermen. They're not superheroes, and they're not immune from criticism. And the bad teachers that were in our school system got revealed really, really quickly on online learning because now parents got to look into their classroom. In fact, a lot of school systems started trying to make rules where parents could not deal with their classroom at all. But that goes back to what I was talking about with the partnership. We get into things like we saw in the Virginia election where an offhanded quip about parents can't dictate what their students are taught. That's nonsense. It's a partnership. Taxpayers have a right to know what their tax dollars are going to in the education system. At the same time, it's a partnership that goes the other way, and they need to show respect to the teachers. And over all this, that booming administrative level that is stopping up massive money and funding in the name of teaching our kids, but none of it's actually getting into the classroom, is driving a wedge into all this. You put all these factors into uh, the crisis pressure cooker that COVID-19, and then you shut it down, and then you make everybody adjust, then you reopen it, and in some cases, shut it down and reopen it again. Now you're dealing with vaccine mandates, you're dealing with mask mandates, you're dealing with a lot of stuff, plus you're dealing with kids, many of whom for the first time in their lives had to be home to their own devices or around different daycare situations than they are used to. These are massive societal changes that the school system was not equipped to deal with, but we're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. We're going to have to deal with it quickly, and we need to fix that partnership between teachers and parents and students because nothing else is going to work if that partnership isn't there. And those three, th- those, and those three groups fighting amongst themselves and being used as a shield by that administrative level and by politicians and by other untowards actors, some of which are the parents and students that aren't acting in good faith either. Those relationships being hindered in that way is going to make this even even worse. Are we going to have a giant jobs program and daycare system and call it education? Or are we going to have a partnership between the schools, the parents, and the students to educate our children better? We better figure it out quick because we're losing an entire generation that's going to have educational, psychological scarring out of what we did to them as a society. Maybe some of it was unavoidable. Maybe some of it was necessary. But it's scarring nonetheless. And it's scars we better deal with quickly or we're going to have a lot of scarred adults leading our country in the not-too-distant future. This is Hertel Show. I'm Andrew Donaldson. We'll be right back after that. Welcome back to Hertel Radio. I'm Andrew Donson. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've missed any of the episodes of either Hertel Radio, which is the weekday uh, version of what we do here, or if you missed any of the Hertel podcasts, the excellent long-form discussions we have with knowledgeable guests to turn down the noise of the news cycle, all of those are available if you subscribe to the program. You can subscribe on YouTube and watch it, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever we're on all those platforms. Subscribing gets you both. You get the weekdays, uh, Hertel Radio, and the long-form long form Hertel podcast we hope you check it out you can go back and watch all the past episodes we're up to 31 episodes on the podcast uh the latest our friend dennis sanders will be exerting soon for you on the radio program as well 
Also, we're streaming on the Big Talker across all their platforms, the Listen Live tab on their website. You can download their app, listen that way, or on their Facebook page. If you're big on the Facebook, the Facebook videos are there streaming at 6 a.m. and a replay at 3 p.m. And if you go on the Facebook video page, you can watch it anytime. That'll do it for Herd Tell. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are across the street or around the world. We hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. Till we talk to you next time, y'all take care. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.